0: Welcome to Now Appalachia, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachia. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to bring you the outstanding writers and publishers that call Appalachia home. And that have connections to the Appalachian region either through their personal lives or through their writing or a combination therein. I'm your host Elliott Parker. It's great to have you with us as we continue bringing you this program here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network and we are coming to you as we always do from just outside the campus of the University of Mississippi otherwise known as Old Miss and we're delighted to be here and delighted to be uh, on campus with uh, the beautiful campus as our backdrop as we bring you another episode of now Appalachia. And today I'm so delighted because we have one of my favorite authors and one of the very first authors we interviewed uh, when we started doing our program two years ago. And he is back to talk to us about his latest book. That author would be David Joy and his new book is called When These Mountains Burn. And David Joy is the author of the book The Line That Held Us, which was the winner of the 2018 Saiba Book Prize. He's also the author of The Weight of This World and Where All Light Tends to Go, and Where All Light Tends to Go was an Edgar finalist for Best First Novel. His stories in creative nonfiction have appeared in a number of publications, including the New York Times Magazine and The Bitter Southerner, and he is the author of the memoir Growing Gills, A Fly Fisherman's Journey, and a co-editor for Gather at the River, 25 Authors on Fishing, and Joy lives in Tuckasegee. North Carolina, and I think I pronounced that right, and we're delighted to have uh, David Joy with us back on Now Appalachia after a couple of years to talk to us about his uh, latest book. So, David, welcome back to Now Appalachia. So
1: good to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me again.
0: I I loved your book um, for so many reasons, just like I've loved all the other books that you've written, because there's just so much Uh, depth and complexity to this book uh, as there is to all of the things that you have written in the past. And I wanted to ask you first about uh, one of the relationships that we see develop early on in your novel. And that is a relationship between a father named Raymond and a son, his son named Ricky. And you've just got some really heartbreaking, poignant chapters uh, in that story uh, or in your novel uh, that kind of gives us a background into the story, into the relationship there. And basically what we find is that Ricky is struggling and has struggled most of his life with a drug problem and that Raymond has continued to sort of be there to support him and kind of bail him out of trouble. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, more about that relationship and what that's done to both of those characters and why that relationship is so central to what we read and what we follow in, uh, in your book?
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, maybe, maybe the biggest way that, that, this book differs from some of the others, especially the first, the first two novels uh, is that I have a history of writing about addicts and and addiction is something that I absolutely understand. Um, One of the things that was harder for me to understand is, is uh, being a parent of an addict. You know, that's something I've never experienced. Uh, Don't, you know, that's not something I'm really close to. Uh, And, and so, Trying to develop Raymond as a character being the father of an addict um uh, I think was probably one of the more difficult things for me to work on with this book um but as far as as far as how that plays out, especially early on in the book raymond's uh Raymond's wife has passed away, and so it's just him and his son and that's basically all that's left of of that family name period uh of the Mathis name and and so um he's i think raymond's holding on to that for a whole lot of reasons um but but the main thing is is just that uh you know that lay down your life love of a parent you know uh and and so more than anything i i I think raymond is just a good father who's who's doing everything within his power to try to try to get his son out of uh at this point heroin addiction um and and anybody who's who's done that or been around uh, addicts knows that, that that's no easy task.
0: And I know that this idea of addiction and this idea of people being addicted and getting addicted and the sort of the fallout that it has, the collateral damage it has on the uh, friends and family members of the person that is addicted uh, is something that unfortunately we have seen really plague Appalachia as an entire region really over the last 20 years or so uh, with the opioid crisis and a variety of other reasons that take place. And you seem to really uh, focus on that well and kind of uh, give us through fiction uh, some examples of of what this does and how devastating this can be. I just wanted to know your thoughts on why do you think Appalachia, and certainly it's been a a problem in other parts of the country, but Appalachia especially, why this, this region of the country has been hit so hard by uh, addiction and opioid addiction, and why it seems to um, just tear families and communities apart like it has. What your thoughts are on that?
1: Well, I mean, there's absolutely no denying that uh, that this region was very uh, systematically targeted by Purdue Pharma. Uh, you know, they were they were dumping those drugs into this place. It basically started right around you know 2000. Uh, you know, and and if you look at, if you look at maps of where those drugs were prescribed, uh, you know, so where, where the prescription opioids were prescribed in this country, uh, Appalachia looks like a bruise on, on, uh, the entire country. Uh, I, I mean, the density map just, just paints this giant bruise over this one particular area. Uh, so as far as why we've experienced it more so than, than other places uh and at the levels that we have it's it's absolutely uh you know that that's the reason that's undeniable i mean to the point that that when the when the sack you know when the sackler family was sued last year uh you know over all of this that that uh you know one of, part of that settlement was that they had to put money back into the places that they destroyed and uh where's that money that that money's going into places uh in appalachia uh, you know, I think, um, uh, at one point in time, it was, it was, if you looked at, if you looked at the, I think it was the, uh, the, the states that were, where most of those drugs went five of them, five of them were in Appalachia, uh, you know, uh, so I think that's undeniable, I, but I, I think too, um, it, especially early on, it w it was, uh, it was West Virginia and it was Eastern Kentucky, but, but especially West Virginia. Um, part of it here, I think, uh, is something that's really come on a lot later. It's, it's been the past three or four years, you know, five years tops. Uh, but it's really, really taken hold here over the, over the past five years. Um, and, and, and part of the reason I I wound up writing about it was just that it was, it it became an inignorable presence of my day-to-day life. Uh, you know, I had had it, I had addicts walking into the front yard. I had addicts knocking on the front door. Uh, you know, you'd go to the post office and step out of the truck, and be 50 or 60 needles laying in, in the parking lot. Uh, and, and so it just kind of became, uh, inignorable.
0: Yeah. And it's something that, uh, you know, you highlight again so well in your books. And I, I just wonder, as someone who who's from West Virginia, as you were talking about, born and raised there and living in Appalachia now, and I know you uh, the same way, being born and living in Appalachia currently, I just wonder when or if we're going to get over this hump with uh, opioid abuse and, and, and drug abuse anytime soon. It just seems like that for every step, positive step that's made forward, there's two steps taken back. And, you know, it seemed like that some states in Appalachia were sort of getting around and kind of getting over the hump with the uh, opioid addiction problem. Then we have a pandemic. Everybody's stuck at home and depression and anxiety fuels a lot of the uh, uh, sort of intrinsic things that cause people to uh, go back to abusing drugs again. So it'll be interesting to see, and I hope sooner rather than later, if we can get past this. A couple other characters I want to ask you about uh, in your novel. Uh, when these mountains burn, one is we've talked about uh, Ricky and Raymond and their relationship. There's another fantastic and interesting character named Denny Rattler, and I just love that name because it yeah. describes him so well, kind of who he is as a person. And I, I love how you describe him that that he has a face whittled by drugs, uh, and that he is all bone and shadow in terms of his physical appearance. Tell us a little bit about Denny Rattler and what he's up to in your novel.
1: Yeah, well, uh you know. Part of, part of that novel was balancing uh, a father who's got a son as an addict, and balancing that character against uh, another addict, and those two lives running parallel, and then and then kind of intersecting at one point in the narrative. But so Denny Rattler is a is a heroin addict, uh, but but he's he's an enrolled member of the Eastern Band, uh, and so uh, you know I was I was writing across race, but but the reason that I wanted to write about Uh, a Cherokee character uh, was because I wanted to juxtapose kind of kind of these two cultures battling something you know something you said a minute ago that really stuck to me was how do we get over it Uh, and and the truth is that we don't get over any of this until we start to invest uh, in addiction services and mental health services uh, and if you look at, at how that's taking place right here where I live in, in a place like Jackson County it's not meanwhile if you go on to, on to the boundary if you go to the koala boundary uh the eastern band is 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 dumping a pile of money into into those resources uh and that's not to say that they're being fully utilized at, at this moment but that is to say that they're making those investments in the community and so the reason that I wrote uh Denny Rattler uh that character was so that I could get into that that kind of juxtaposition of those two responses uh and so Denny Rattler is a is a heroin addict and he feels very much like an American cliche in that uh number 1 he's a he's a native american addict number 2 he was injured at work and got uh addicted to prescription opioids and and found his way into heroin um and basically, at, at when the novel starts, he's he's basically uh, hand to mouth, uh, day to day survival. You know, looking for his next fix. Uh, and, and basically, the way that he he, you know, supports that habit is is breaking and entering.
0: And in addition to kind of those two stories uh, running parallel in your novel, we have the law enforcement angle uh, of your story, which is something that we see thematically through all of your books. There, there is someone on the outside who's trying to do the right thing uh, and make things better. And in this case, um, it is a DEA agent. Uh, who is involved and, and he's trying to crack open this case uh, of the drug abuse problem uh, in the mountains. And he's been unable to do that uh, until a little bit later on in the novel. Tell us a little bit about uh, him and sort of what he's up to and how he kind of gets set on a path where his world collides uh, with these other characters we've been talking about.
1: It's a, I, I think it's it's funny to talk about that character because anybody who's followed uh, you know, my career or listened to me ever talk about writing knows that I'm a very much a uh, you know fly by the seat of your pants kind of writer. I uh, don't outline anything. Uh, nothing's ever planned. I have no idea where a story's going when I start. Uh, and and so what happened with this novel was uh, I only had two characters. I had Denny Rattler and I had Raymond Mathis, and those two uh, you know lives were going side by side. And when I got to the end of the book, uh, there was nobody in the room that needed to be in the room uh you know and and so i had to i had to go back and create a character who could be in the room at the time that things finally kind of came to a head um and and so i i wrote this this dea agent of uh, a, a character named rodriguez but um yeah he's uh he's basically trying to there's a there's a huge amount of heroin coming into western north carolina uh, he's kind of been tracking it from Asheville, uh, and he's, he's, you know, trying to work his way up the ladder and, and figure out where it's coming from. And that, that winds up leading him West and he winds up kind of, uh, in Jackson County. And, and, uh, one of the things that people that aren't from here may not realize, but Jackson County, it butts up to the boundary. Uh, and, and so right across the line, you're, you're, uh, you're in Cherokee and so it kind of leads him, leads him to this area where he, he runs into uh, Denny Rattler and Raymond Mathis.
0: Excellent. David Joy is our guest here today on Now Appalachia. We're talking to him about his latest book, When These Mountains Burn. And David, we'll come back to this uh, book in just a minute. But I wanted to ask you something and mention something to you that you may not know, and that we have, you know, you came on the very first year. Uh, that we were doing uh, these podcasts, and I think we had you on um, for one of your earlier novels and I believe it was uh, the, the line that held us is when we had you on uh, before but since then we 've probably interviewed sixty five or seventy other authors, and I would venture to say that ninety percent of them have said at some point during our conversations in our interviews that you are a writer that influences them or has inspired them, or is someone that when they're trying to really get down to Appalachian culture and storytelling and creating tension and pacing and all of those things that people love from a good book, they come back to your work time and time again. When you hear something like that and and you hear that from, uh, your fellow peers and fellow writers, how does that make you feel? What are some of your thoughts about that?
1: I I don't really, I don't really know. Uh, you know it's nice it's it's nice to know that people are reading uh well maybe that those people are reading cuz i <laughs> you know i don't i don't know that it's uh, i don't know that i have a giant readership but it it's nice to nice to know uh that that some of what i'm doing maybe matters uh you know and i i think about you know for me who those writers were and and uh and still are and it's you know ron rash was was kind of that way for me uh, this region, I mean, it, this region is putting out, you know, just year after year some of the some of the best literature in the country. I mean, I, th- I think about this year alone, uh, you know, Carter Sickle's new book, uh, The Prettiest Star. I, I mean, that that's a gorgeous, gorgeous novel. Uh, and then and then we had, uh, you know, the debut short story collection by Leah Hampton, Fuckface. Uh, that, that's as good. Uh, a story collection, as has come out in this country this year. Period. Uh, the fact that it's a debut is just is is mind blowing. Uh, and then I think about a writer like Annette Clapsaddle. Uh, you know, got a debut novel coming out, even as we breathe, uh, which is the very first novel to ever come out of the Eastern Band. Um, you know, th- there have been there have been other Cherokee novelists, but they've all they've all been from Oklahoma. Uh, but that to say that this this region and these mountains uh has historically and continues to produce uh some of the most talented writers in the country uh and it's it's as someone who follows that closely it it's uh it, you know it's really I, I find a lot of enjoyment in in seeing these these writers you know find a a bigger audience
0: and I know you are someone who loves appalachia, you love Western North Carolina, you love. Uh, your life, and you love your farm, and you love being out uh, in nature, um, what do you say to those people who say, you know, look, David, you're a, an award-winning writer, you're nationally recognized, you've got all of these outstanding books, you've gotten all these accolades, all these starred reviews from Publishers Weekly, you were an Edgar Award finalist, won the Saiba Book Award. What do you say to those people who say, why do you still stick around Appalachia? Why don't, Why don't you move to uh, maybe a more prosperous area of Appalachia, maybe Eastern Tennessee yeah. or Atlanta or yeah. uh, Charlotte or somewhere like that. Well, why do you stay in those rural mountains? Why do you stay surrounded by not just the beauty, but but by the trouble and by some of the uh, some of the downsides of Appalachian culture that we've talked about already? Why do you stay? Why do you why do you stick around and not maybe uh, go somewhere else or go somewhere that someone might deem more prosperous?
1: Yeah, I, well, I think the biggie for me is that I've always been. Uh, very very rooted to place uh i don't like traveling i you know i don't go on vacation i don't like traveling uh if there's not a fish that i want to catch i don't, i really you know really all of my traveling it was it was like if there was a fish i wanted to catch or a turkey i wanted to chase or something i might leave and go try to do that but other than that i have no interest in leaving this place at all uh and it's because uh you experience a uh, sort of intimacy uh with a place after this long uh when you know a place this intimately uh you know i've joked around before about how i think you could blindfold me and dump me off in the woods up here and i'd i'd find my way uh i'd kind of as long as you i was in jackson county odds are i'd find my my way around uh and and so for me, it's it's uh, it, I, I don't necessarily know that I can even fully explain it. I just know that that's always been characteristic of my personality is that I'm very much rooted to place. Uh, as far as as far as, as a storyteller, I think it boils down to the fact that you know I've never once felt uh, that as any sort of limitation. Uh, I I can't imagine a story that I would want to tell that I couldn't tell right here about these people. Uh, that I know that there's there will never be a story that I want to tell uh, that I can't tell right here about these people, uh, and and so really I think I just you know I stay here because uh, because it, this place defines me, uh, and I and I write these stories because it's it's all that I know.
0: Excellent. In the dedication to your book and the dedication to your latest novel, when these mountains burn. You write for Ron Rash, my mentor and friend. And I know you mentioned him a moment ago. What kind of influence has Ron Rash had on you? And what kind of an influence does he still have on you, both as a, a writer and a mentor and a friend?
1: Yeah, well early on, uh, you know, I it's it's funny. I'm I'm not a hundred a hundred yards from where I first met Ron. Uh and I I got dumped in his lap you know I, it wasn't that i had him for a class or something uh i'd written a story and uh i took it to someone that i really respected and, and wanted some feedback from it and when i gave it to him, they said david that's not what i do uh but let me introduce you to somebody who who that is what they do and they dumped me in ron's lap and uh ron being just the just the you know kind heart that he is kind of took me under the wing and read this story uh, it was a story about fishing, and so uh, we really became friends o- over fishing. Um, but early on, I, I mean, if I think about uh, the very first book that I was ever handed where I fell in love and where uh, I knew that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, it, Ron Ron's the one handed it to me. Uh, or if I think, you know, uh, just watching the way that he worked uh, and when I met him, Ron wasn't a household name by any means. You know, that first novel was out. Maybe Saints at the River might have been out as well. Uh, I think only One Foot in Eden was out. But anyways, he certainly wasn't the post-Serena Ron Rash, you know, household name uh, person. But but as he kind of, as that career developed, uh, the thing that he never lost was any of that humility. Uh, anybody who, who meets Ron, you know, that's the first thing that they're going to tell you. Uh, and so I think for me, it was, it was watching how he, how he interacted with the world once he began to, uh, you know, kind of build a readership. Uh, when I, when I sold that first novel, uh, I mean, this will sound strange, I guess maybe to some people, but I walked, I carried that contract and I stood right where I met him. Uh, I went to and stood in front of his office and he wasn't there, but it was just because I wanted to stand in the place where it all started. Uh, and, and, you know, if it hadn't been for him, if it hadn't been for him handing me a copy of William Gaze, I hate to see that evening sun go down. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I still would have been a writer, but I I, I don't know that I would have, uh, taken the, the path that I did. Uh, so really there's just, ne- there's never been a greater influence on me, uh, as far as a writer goes but more just as a man uh you know he's just an incredible man yeah he certainly is we're
0: joined by david joy here on now appalachia we're talking with him about his career as a writer and also his fantastic new novel when these mountains burn and David, let's go back to your novel for just a minute you mentioned that um early in our discussion that that you're you're very much a a pantser in terms of a writer uh, more so than a plotter and you just kind of uh right as you go and don't really um, uh, know where the story's going when you first start. And, and you've got some great characters here. You mentioned that you, you kind of just started out with, uh, with Raymond and Denny and then kind of had to fill in some other characters. Who was the character that was the easiest to create out of the four basic ones that we've talked about already uh, from your book and who was the most difficult uh, to create?
1: Uh, I think Ricky, uh, the, the son was maybe uh the easiest for me to think about uh because i knew how far he was into addiction and that and that made understanding his motivations uh as a character really easy and that's that's some something that i think i know well uh you know i've already told you how how it was hard for me to write raymond because that's not a that's not something i know i you know i'm not a father uh you know I've, i've i've never even really spent a whole bunch of time around parents of addicts or families of addicts uh and and so that was hard for me uh at the same time the the undoubtedly the hardest part about writing this book uh was the responsibility of writing across race uh you know it was it was writing the character of denny rattler uh you know if you're going to make a deliberate choice to write a character that's eastern band uh you damn sure better get it right Uh, and you damn sure better spend a whole lot of time, uh, doing everything you can to, to present that story in a way that, that when somebody reads it, uh, they don't, they don't immediately think, well, oh, that, you know, that's, that's not how it is at all. And, and so for me, I, you know, it was, it was that, um, and, and, uh, you know, I knew why I wanted, I think, I think if you want to write a cross race, I think there are three big questions you need to ask and and you know one is is why you know what's the purpose uh number two is how many of those people do you even know uh so if if you're wanting to write an eastern bank character how many how many cherokee people do you even know when's the last time you talked to a cherokee person uh and then and then there was a there was a another writer who asked a third question that i thought was brilliant and he said well how many have you read uh how many are on your bookshelves you know and and there were a lot of native writers that have influenced me through the years but uh you know there haven't been any eastern band uh, uh novelists uh but but you know answering those questions i knew the why uh i wanted to juxtapose two community responses to the opioid crisis i wanted to juxtapose raymond mathis watching the last of uh of his culture you know disintegrate through his fingers and i wanted denny rattler to be witnessing a resurgence of culture uh which is taking place on on the boundary right now uh and so i knew the why and uh i'm fortunate in that i, ha- I have a a lot of friends that are uh you know enrolled members of the tribe and they, and they were incredibly generous uh with allowing me to ask questions and they trusted me that i wasn't uh asking those questions to be exploitative but that i was asking those questions so that i could try to understand um and and i was very fortunate in both of those ways but i you know that's undoubtedly the hardest part about writing this book was was uh you know uh trying trying to do that in a in a respectful way and and trying to do that in a in a way where uh i got as little wrong as as, I could hope to. You no, know, inevitably, I got something wrong, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I tried to do the work to ensure that that was as little as possible.
0: David, I was looking for a quote from your book when I finished it this weekend that I thought would kind of summarize and maybe kind of tease together uh, thematically some of the things that you've been talking about. Uh, today about your book and about your characters, but also kind of tie together um, some of your, your your views of Appalachia and people and and culture. And so I found this this quote early on in chapter two, and I, I'm going to read the, the the quote, and then have you um, just give us a little context about this, and, and and if you feel this is true, both in terms of what your characters experience and kind of what you feel about Appalachia in general. And, and this is in chapter two, and this is coming from Ray's perspective, and. You write there on page six that a man needed something constant, something unchanging, that he could lean against when the world went to pot. Sooner or later, the cards always fell that way, and the difference between those who buried their heads in their hands and those who kept their chins above water became a matter of reprieve. Can you comment a little bit on on the significance of that and, and why you kind of put that early on in the story, especially from his perspective?
1: yeah well i think uh you know i've i've uh i've written about that about that before i think that's maybe the the most least understood reality of most addicts is that most addicts just want one second to catch their breath uh you know they just they they want one moment where they can escape the world uh and and so as far as trying to understand characters like Denny Rattler or Ricky Mathis, uh, I think it was important, uh, you know, to, to set that up early, but, uh, but at the same time, it was important for, for somebody like Raymond, uh, and, and for Raymond, those, those things, uh, were getting harder and harder to come by. Uh, you know, the things that he loved most, uh, were, were, uh, largely things that were, that were disappearing. Um, uh, and, and, and so that, I think that's really what I was trying to get at. So David,
0: in our final moments with you today, uh, if someone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you more, um, about your career as a writer, about living in Appalachia, about your views on Appalachia and Appalachian culture, how can they get in contact with you? First of all, and then where can they get copies of when these mountains burn?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the easiest, easiest way to contact me is I'm on, I'm on all the social medias at least all the well not all of them because hell there's a new one about every week but uh the the face facebook instagram twitter uh i'm on all of those and you can message me on on facebook or uh instagram either one or you can or you can you know send something on twitter um and as far as getting the books uh buy from your local independent bookstore. Uh, you know, there's not a, there's not a bookstore in this country that can't order that book. Uh, they might not have it in stock and that's perfectly okay. Uh, maybe what you do is you talk to the bookseller and say, Hey, I've re- I've really heard a lot of good things about this book. Have them order it for you. Uh, you know, I've, I've always been a huge proponent of independent books, bookstores, but maybe more so now than ever in the sense that, uh, you know, we're at a moment in time where if we don't make it a deliberate point to take care of these places and to take care of this community, uh, they're not going to be there when we finally make it to the other side of all of this. Uh, you know, for me, that my hometown Indy's always been city lights bookstore, uh, here in Silva, but, but just over the County line into, into Haywood, there's, there's Blue Ridge books. And uh, I was talking to that store owner and that bookseller this week uh, and how terrified she is, it, you know, there's already been three businesses on that one little tiny road that's closed during all of this. Uh, so, so again, maybe more so than now than ever, uh, we have to make it a, a very deliberate point to to support those local independent bookstores because uh, they are very much the lifeblood and the safe havens of our community.
0: David Joy has been our guest here today on Now Appalachia. We've been talking to him about his latest novel, When These Mountains Burn. He's also the author of The Line That Held Us, The Weight of This World, and Where All the Light Tends to Go. If you have not discovered David Joy folks, it's time to get on board with this and go to your local independent bookstore and tell them to order you a copy of When These Mountains Burn. If they do not have that in stock, GP Putnam and Sons is the publisher. And David is uh, not only a fantastic writer, but a big ambassador of Appalachian, and Appalachian culture, and a huge supporter of Appalachian culture. And he lives in Tuckasegee, North Carolina, in Western North Carolina. And you also should follow him on Instagram because he takes some of the most beautiful pictures of his land and the part of the country that he calls home. And if you want to see beautiful pictures of Of streams and mountains and rivers and sunsets. Plus, if you also want to see what he catches for dinner and what he likes to uh, eat from time to time, he also puts those pictures Mm -hmm. up on social media as well. So, follow David certainly on social media, but get a copy of When These Mountains Burn. It's a fantastic novel. Uh, And, David, congratulations on it. We're so happy uh, for you, and we're happy to have you on Now Appalachia. And as you keep writing and keep getting things more uh, published along the lines of what you've been doing, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So thanks for being with us today.
1: Yes, sir. I'll, I'll come back
0: anytime you have me. Great. Appreciate it very much. And we want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special thanks and a salute to our executive producer of Now Appalachia, Her name is Pam Stack. She is also the executive producer of all the podcasts that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And we encourage you to stay tuned as we move through the month of August and as we move through summer 2020 and into fall 2020 because we have some new podcasts with some new hosts coming your way here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So we invite you to stay tuned to the network uh, for that and also to follow uh, some of your other favorite programming uh, on, the, on the network from my uh, other colleagues as well who do a fantastic job of covering all aspects of literature from all different genres and all different perspectives. But all of that couldn't be made possible without Pam Stack's help and support. So we appreciate all the work that she does so much. We also want to remind you this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia. Please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. Owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.